grande es nuestro Dios, el Señor de Reyes. Great are you, Lord. Good morning. Buenos días. Uh, it is my privilege today to introduce our speaker. Before I do that, I just want to say that I so enjoyed Friday's chapel. And I want to thank all of those who participated under the leadership of Dr. Lena Caruso. That was awesome. The Reverend Gabriel Saguero is with us this morning. And he's going to bring the word. Are you ready? Are your hearts ready? <laughs> uh, him and his wife, the Reverend Jeanette Salguero, are pastors at Calvary City Church in Orlando, Florida. He comes through New York City, formerly the pastor of the Lambs Church, which was a very multicultural church, ministering in English, Spanish, and Mandarin. Much of the work of Dr. Gabriel Saguero has been on racial reconciliation. He is the founder of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition known as NALEC, and it offers important leadership voice to the close to 8 million Latino evangelicals in this country has traveled extensively everywhere and anywhere God has called them. He has been a voice to the people. He has been a voice bridging the church with society and helping to bring a loud voice into public policy. He's been uh, featured in Huffington Post, CNN Español, El Diario, Jorge Ramos, Al Punto. He's a great writer, really an eloquent writer on faith and Huffington Post's religious page. Um, he has served in, as the Equal Op Employment Opportunity Commission in New Jersey and in various occasions has been an advisor in the White House on issues of immigration, healthcare, and uh, for the faith community. He is a board member of the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, his ministry and outreach has been also featured in CNN, Telemundo, and the Associated Press. He previously served as the director of Institute of Faith and Public Life and Hispanic Leadership Program at Princeton Theological Seminary. A graduate from Rutgers University in New Jersey, New Jersey's in the house, and also has an MDiv magna cum laude from New Brunswick Theological Seminary. His PhD work in Christian social ethics at Union Theological Seminary in New York and has a doctor in divinity from uh, honoris from Eastern Nazarene College in Massachusetts. Are you tired? Because I just lost my breath here after saying all of that. Great father to two boys, John Graybill and Seth. A great friend of mine and someone who I know God has brought for such a time as this to bring forth the word. So as we celebrate the launching of Hispanic Heritage Month, put your hands together and let's welcome the Dr. Reverend Gabriel Salguero. Okay. I was like, who's that? It's a lot. So glad to be here in New York City. I mean, uh, Marion, Indiana. Listen, last, last week, uh, I live in Orlando, Florida, and so we experienced some of the impact of Hurricane Irma, and a few weeks before that, I was in Houston dealing with some of the impacts of Hurricane Harvey. And so before I reflect on God's word, will you pray with me for those people? God, we thank you that you are sovereign and good that your mercies are new every single morning and great is your faithfulness. And we pray for all the people impacted by Irma and Harvey and an earthquake in Mexico and mudslides in Bangladesh. Help us to be the church in times of natural disasters, in times of calamity. Lift up the church 
Help us to be your hands and your feet. Help us to be the people God has called us to be. Holy Spirit, empower us to be a generation that sees the change we want to see in the world. For those living in Florida and in Texas and in Louisiana and in Mexico and the Keys and in Puerto Rico and in Cuba and in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Turcos and Caicos, help us to remember them. That we, while we are here in great facilities, listening to great worship tunes, learning so much, there are people who need so much. So, God, in your mercy, move us to compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so they brought me for Hispanic Heritage Month. It's that, it's that famous month from September 15th to October 15th, that special month. And the reason it starts, by the way, for those of you who don't know, the reason that Hispanic Heritage Month starts on September 15th is because on September 15th, it is the day that five nations in Latin America declared their independence. That's why it starts on September 15th. The reason it ends in October 15th is because toward the end of October, it's also when many nations declared their independence. And so I'm honored to be a part of chapel during El Mes de la Herencia Hispana. And I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about hope and promise and revival. Go with me to the book of Joel, first chapter. Well, as I, when I was growing up, I, I went to a bilingual church. We used to call it Joel, El Libro de Joel. Verse 4 of the first chapter. So Joel begins with a very ominous sign. It, it begins with an invasion. And as I've been traveling around the country, a lot of people feel despair or feel cynicism or feel that things cannot get better. But I beg to differ. We're the church and we transact in hope. We are the church and we transact in hope. But our hope is not absent what's going on in the world. Every single Christian... If they want to be not just relevant, but transformative, they got to ask the question of that famous popular prophet, what's going on? Marvin Gaye, by the way, is the name of that prophet. <laughs> what the locust swarm has left, the great locust has eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. And so there's the, this invasion there's this invasion of four armies. And so that is the preamble. That's the prolegomenon. That's the introduction. Things are not going well. But then in the second chapter, in the 28th verse, there's a promise. After this invasion and afterwards. Say with me, and afterwards. Ask your neighbor, after what? After the invasion. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Say with me, all people. I just want you to know I'm Puerto Rican. If you don't say something, I'm just going to go down there. I'm just going to go down there. All people. Your sons and your daughters, that's just to remind you that God is an equal opportunity employer. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy so God is not a sexist. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. That's to show you that God is not an ageist, that God will use older people and younger people. Even on my servants, both men and women. The old King James Version is called that servants and handmaidens. That's to show you that God is not a classist. So it's not just the powerful, but also those in the servant class. I will pour out of my spirit in those days. Recently, I flew to, to Point Loma Nazarene University to, to speak at chapel. And from Orlando to Point Loma, it's about a five and a half hour flight. And while we're about to land in San Diego, 
the pilot gets on, and I was half asleep, and he's like, we have to go around three times. We have to go around three times. I, I didn't understand what he was saying. And the person sitting next to me said, we have to go around three times because it's foggy. Too much fog in San Diego. And so I was like, okay, we've been flying for five hours, and now we have to fly around for another 30 minutes. And as we were flying around, the pilot gets back on, and he says, I regret to inform you, we cannot land in San Diego. We have to land in LAX. Has anybody ever flown into Los Angeles International Airport? You have already earned halfway to heaven. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy. And so after flying for five hours or so, we fly into LAX, and then when we fly into LAX, somebody gets on the speaker and says, yes, all the people who were supposed to land in San Diego, we have a bus for you. And so we've been five hours, about another 30 minutes in the air. We land, and then they have another bus that drives us from LAX to San Diego. It's about 11 o'clock at night, and I have to speak at a 9 a.m. chapel. I am not happy. But then I thought about something. Why is it that we couldn't land? We couldn't land because it's foggy. And I submit to you for your acceptance or your rejection that we have a problem in the United States of America and in the world, and it is fog. We can't see each other. And because we can't see each other, we feel like we're under invasion. You can't see me, I can't see you. Anybody like wrestling? Anybody want to tell the truth in the house of God? <laughs> I, have, I have an eight-year-old son. It's not me, it's my son. Not me, it's my son. He loves wrestling. WWE. World Wrestling Entertainment. When I was younger, and I'm still young, it, it was called WWF, World Wrestling Federation. And his favorite wrestler is a guy named John Cena. I quote scripture, nothing. John Cena, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Rough crowd here this morning. <laughs> and his finishing move, anybody know it? Yeah, I know it. You, I know you know it. <laughs> Can't tell me Habakkuk 3-2, but you know John Cena's finishing move. <laughs> and right about when he's going to finish you off, he stands over your body, and he does this. Anybody who doesn't, know, who doesn't know what that means, just raise your hand. Confess your cultural Philistineness. This means, who knows it, just yell it out. Christian college, right? You can't see me. Because when you're under invasion, one of the things that locusts do is cover the sky and make it foggy. And the only thing that allows you to leg drop and give the five-knuckle shuffle to another person is if you confess that you can't see them. 
Because if you see somebody, you treat them with dignity. I want to tell you that the whole New Testament is about God seeing us. That the entire Bible, that the first time God reveals God's self to Moses, the great liberator, the first thing God tells Moses is, I have seen the affliction of my people. And most of the time, the reason we have racial injustice and sexism and classism and all the isms that are antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the isms that tear us apart is because we refuse to see each other. That's why in the Old Testament, prophets were called seers. They had the capacity to see each other. That's why when Jesus prays over Jerusalem and over his people, he says, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And locusts don't just blind the night sky, they also deafen the sound in the immediate environment. And so what the locusts represent is us being overwhelmed by fog and overwhelmed by cacophonous sounds that don't let us see each other and don't let us hear each other. When you can't see someone, you can disrespect them. You can mistreat them. You can marginalize them. Listen to the gospel. When the spirit comes over every single person, the spirit gives us the capacity to see each other. Allow me to speak about some of the ills of the locusts and some of the antidote of revival. The first thing that we're suffering from, the first locust, is despair. You know, despair. The belief that things cannot get better. The belief that we're all stuck in some kind of dystopian novel. You know, the, what's that famous one with the Katniss, what's the name of that book? I talk Bible, nothing, Hunger Games comes right at me. Have you noticed that Maze Runner and Hunger Games are the revival, are the reintroducing to a generation of young people and adults, dystopic novels, Alia, Alice Huxley, and A Brave New World. People think that things can't get better, but I'm here to tell you I'm a preacher and I transact in hope. I'm a father and I transact in hope. I'm an educator and I transact in hope. Don't believe the hype. Things can get better because as long as God has you in the world, things can get better. Do not go gentle into that dark night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. We always have two options when the locusts come. We always have two options when darkness sets in. One is to curse the darkness. The other is to turn on the light. And I choose to be a person who turns on the light. Give three people a high five and say, turn on the light. Turn on the light, baby. <laughs> Despair is the belief that things cannot get better. But God has an antidote to despair. The antidote to despair is courage. Courage. Now, courage is not some kind of masculine machismo bravado. Courage is the ability that God can use me despite my frailties to change things in the world. Yeah. 
Courage is not that I am strong, but courage is despite my weakness, God can use me to change things in the world. Some years ago, I used to work at Princeton Theological Seminary, and I wrote an op-ed piece about immigration, more specifically about deferred action for childhood arrivals, which now known as DACA. And I wrote a letter to my local newspaper. It became an op-ed. And some weeks later, somebody delivered an envelope to my office at Princeton. I know they delivered it because it did not have a postage stamp. It, it was not self-addressed. It was about this thick. And they delivered it to our secretary, our receptionist in the front. On it, it said, to the Reverend Dr. Gabriel Blow Your Horn Salguero. I knew that this couldn't be good. So I opened it. And as I opened it, it was about 12 pages. Somebody had a lot of time in their hands and thought a lot about what they were going to tell me. Of the most vitriolic, hateful, xenophobic, racist things you could hear. And they had cut out letters, and I had to call Princeton police and local police and Princeton Seminary Security and Princeton University Security. I don't scare easily because I'm a Jersey Rican. For those of you who don't know, that's a Puerto Rican born in New Jersey. I'm, a, I'm not confused, I'm just integrated. At the end of it, on the 12th page, there was a picture of me with my head beheaded. I don't scare easy, but I do scare. The most frightening thing was that this person knew where I worked because they hand delivered it. But even more frightening than that is that my oldest son at that time, John Gabriel, was in daycare at Princeton where I worked about a mile, mile and a half from my office. I immediately called the nursery director, the preschool director, I said, absolutely no one can pick up my son unless it's me or my wife, Jeanette. For a month and a half, Jeanette and I, we received death threats and all kind of just vitriol. And we were escorted by state police and police to the office and to work and to church for a month and a half. Look at me. Mira me, mira me, see me. How do you explain to a five-year-old boy, a four-and-a-half-year-old boy, why the police are escorting you every day? The locust has set in. Can I, can I talk to you? I, I was tempted. I didn't want to have my most Christian response. I wanted to slap somebody in the Tuesday. Anybody? Anybody? The human nature has a lust for vengeance. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Human nature, because our humanity lurks. And I'm Puerto Rican. I, I, I grew up with West Side Story. I want to live in America. To live in America. There's a little scene on the rooftop of West Side Story when the Italians and the, are fighting the Puerto Ricans. And he says, I know a boat you can get on. I felt that rage. 
And one day, because I had taught my son about love and mercy, and I always used to tell my son, hey, when you feel despair, I want you to know that courage and love wins. I know it may not seem that way, but the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. And one day I'm, I'm weeping, trying to explain to JG, to John Gabriel, I said, mi hijo, tú no sabes por qué estamos pasando por esto. You don't know why we're going through this. And it is true what the psalmist says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, God has perfected worship. He says to me, Dad, why are the police escorting us? And tears well up in my eyes. And, and I, how do I explain that I'm, my ministry is a prophetic one for those, as Proverbs says, speak up for the vulnerable. How do I explain that? And before I could get the word out of my mouth, my son, my five-year-old son says to me, Dad, is it because we did something good? Never let despair win. The second locus is fear. I went to a reform seminary, even though I was raised Pentecostal. You know, when they gave me 20 minutes, I was concerned because I'm Puerto Rican and Pentecostal, and 20 minutes is like the introduction to a prayer for Puerto Rican Pentecostals. We're just like, <laughs> we're just like getting through the names of Jesus. Lily of the Valleys, Rosa Sharon, Bright and Morning Star, Desire. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> But I was trained reformed. So as a Puerto Rican Pentecostal, I was like, oh, how can I do it in 20 minutes? As trained reformed, I said, what am I going to do with the rest of the 15? <laughs> the second locus is fear. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, after bombing Pearl Harbor on December 17th in 1940, says, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear is a very human emotion. We all have fears and phobias. Fears manifest our deepest insecurity. When that locust comes, fear is powerful. And it sometimes contributes to anger, to racism, to isolation. Sometimes what we're afraid of, we rebel against. Fear is powerful. And I was trained, I'm Pentecostal, and I remember taking a homiletics class, which means simply the, the science and art of preaching. And I remember the reform guy telling me, this is your space. This is your space. I'm like, wow. It's very Dutch and reformed of you. I got to move. Because <laughs> I believe, like Gloria Estefan, the rhythm is going to get you. And he says to me, in a very theological, well-constructed argument, he says, no, because in our theology, the word of a God is quoting from Karl Barth. I just want you to know that I'm Pentecostal, so I speak in tongues. I speak education and ease, and I speak ghetto ease. I'm integrated. <laughs> PhD raised in the barrio. He says, the word of God is above us. And that's why in much of our architecture in Western society, the platform is higher. To remind every single person that the word of God is not at your level. It comes from above. It is transcendent. It is holy other. It is above you and it challenges you and inspires you. I said, that's good. That's good. So I'll preach 10 minutes of the sermon here. But the word of God is not just above us. 
the word of God became flesh. And it dwelt among us. The word of God came down. Who is it that Barbara Streisand used to ask? What if God were one of us? Well, that's been answered, baby. His name is Jesus. And the reason you have to come down is because scripture tells us that proximity often overcomes fear. You are only afraid of those things you've not been close to. You're only afraid of those things you've not been exposed to. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14 in the message translation, and the word became flesh and it moved into our neighborhood. And so to overcome fear, you've got to move. You've got to touch. I'm going to hug somebody before this thing is over. I'm just going to look for the most uncomfortable person. And the problem is that much of modern Christianity keeps us isolated in our religious silos and our cultural silos and our class silos and our gendered silos. But the Bible is about movement. And to be overcome fear, you have to be a radical boundary crosser. You see, John chapter 1 in the English version, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Spanish has such a more powerful translation. I'm going to tell it to you, see if you pick up the word, the difference between word and how the Spanish translation, Reina Valera, 1960, Reina Valera version. En el principio era el verbo. El verbo, the verb. So it's not just a word, it's an action word. How you doing? I'm not, can I hug you? Big hug, big hug. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, shut up, come on. A little awkward, it's a little strange. How you feeling it? You just had brown sugar. Because I'm Puerto Rican, I'm brown, and I'm sweet. You just have brown sugar, that's your day for the day. Fear is the enemy of love. And let me tell you, let me tell you, courage is not the antidote to fear. Courage is not the antidote to fear. In scripture, the antidote to fear is love. You ever ask yourself why the prophetess, you remember the prophetess, Tina Turner? She asked the question, oh, what's love got to do, got to do, got to do with it? Oh, what's love but a secondhand emotion? I'll be selling CDs after the chapel. <laughs> Pro Hurricane Irma and all that stuff. Mirame, 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 mirame. Mirame. The reason Tina asked that question is because for many years she was the victim of domestic abuse. And when somebody continuously beats you and robs you of your dignity, you ask the love question. And in scripture, God has an antidote for fear. Perfect love casts away all fear. If I love you, I do not fear you. And look, look, look at me. Mirame. Love takes risk. 
Some people say, why do we welcome immigrants and why do we welcome refugees? And why? I'll tell you why. Because to love people is to make yourself vulnerable. Get married, you'll know all about it. <laughs> like this woman comes into your house or you come into her house and all of a sudden you realize you're just paying rent. Every man in this house, just repeat after me. I'm going to give you keys to success if you're married. If God calls you to singleness, God bless you, God keep you. But if you're called to marriage, here's the keys to success. Yes, honey, and when, honey. Some of y'all thinking, that's not the way it's going to be. I'll see you in a decade. You know that the most often repeated phrase in scripture is fear not or do not fear or some version of it 365 times, one for every day of the year. Because God knows our propensity to be afraid. And when you see somebody from a different culture, from a different language, or, for, or for, from a different bodiedness, able-bodiedness, Sometimes it strikes fear. But the Holy Spirit is the great reconciler. During the last couple of years, I've been doing research on poor white people in Appalachia called the Rust Belt. <laughs> you know why? Because I, I, I don't know their story. So I read, read J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy. Because before you judge somebody's story, you got to know somebody's story. Assumptions are the lowest form of knowledge. When you assume, it is the for lowest form of knowledge. And love allows you to cross boundaries and ask questions without fear. I submit to you that in this country and many countries around the world, wherever there's racial ethnic genocide, Wherever there's the elimination of people, we have a love deficit. Revival is a love surplus. Dr. King would say, Necesitamos la capacidad de sobrellevar sus capacidades para la maldad, para nuestra, con nuestra capacidad para la bondad. We need the ability to overwhelm people's capacity for evil with our capacity for good. Anger has its place. When people tell you don't be angry, they don't know what they're talking about. The Bible says be angry, but sin not. And so some, it should anger you when there's genocide. It should anger you when people are mistreated. It should give you righteous indignation. And that's good as far as it goes. But then the next question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to like a tweet, follow somebody on Facebook? Are we going to be part of the counter movement against the locusts that try to impregnate the minds of a generation? As I close, let me tell you my story. Dr. Joanne Solis Walker, I've known her for 20 years. She was 25 when I met her. I was two. I know. Yeah, I have all these degrees, but let me tell you how this really rolls. 
I'm the son of a former heroin addict. He was homeless and he lived on the streets of Puerto Rico under bridges. Everybody feared him and they should have because he was what society calls a juvenile delinquent. He robbed people because the opioid epidemic was not just external, it was internal. He needed his fix. He was, by his definition, not mine, a junkie. But one day a woman loved him enough to tell him, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. My father who was a heroin junkie because somebody loved him to transformation and to rehabilitation became my pastor and my mentor. Do not tell me people cannot change. I did not read it in a book. It is my life. The locusts have also invaded me, but the spirit was more than enough. Where I grew up, there was gang violence, African-American gangs against Latino gangs. Then the Italians moved in, and the African-Americans and Latinos joined together to beat up the Italians. It was rough. But then we planted a church there and started getting the young people together, the nietas and, and the disciples and the vice lords and the Crips and the Bloods and La M, La Mexican Mafia, and God began to redeem young people. Do not tell me that God cannot overcome the locusts. John Donne, the Irish poet, said, the last thing to die is hope. I'm here not because I have nothing to do on a Monday morning. I'm here because I'm a hope dealer. I deal in hope. And I refuse to allow racism and xenophobia and sexism and classism to la have the last word. I believe the spirit will have the last word. And he's recruiting. The spirit is recruiting people. Will you join? Will you be part of that revival? I'm too young. You're never too young to make a change in your immediate environment, in your school, in the way you talk in the way you challenge your friends when they, because of ignorance or upbringing or for whatever reason, people, and Frank would say, despite everything that has happened to me, I believe that people are good at heart. Overwhelmingly, people are good. Overwhelmingly, black, white, Asian, African-American, Native American, First Nations. Overwhelmingly, people are good. But the locus of ignorance challenges them. God is waiting on you. Will you bow your heads? Open your hearts. To sing that God is great is to remind the world that God has the last word. To sing that God is great is to remind all the locusts that the gospel has the last word. To sing that God is great is to confess that Aslan is on the move. Listen to me. Lucy asked Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, hey, is Aslan safe? They said to her, Lucy, he's a lion. He's a lion. Es un león, por favor. He's not safe, but he is good. Christianity is not safe. But it is good. And it will have the last word over the locust. Will you worship God with me?